0: Welcome to the Project Entrepreneur, the Tools podcast series. The goal of this podcast is to share ideas, tools, and strategies from entrepreneurs, investors, and other leaders in the startup community. This series will equip you with the knowledge and concepts to bring your business to the next level. What will you build and how will you build it? Today's episode, Relationship-Based Sales Techniques, was recorded at the 2018 Project Entrepreneur Intensive in New York City. It features Allie McCartney, Managing Director at UBS Wealth Management, Catherine Flax, CEO of PEFIN, and Molly Howard, co-founder and CEO of Laline.
1: I'm totally overwhelmed by you women. I often get asked to teach sales. It is never to a room of all women, and it is never to a room of human beings that actually are passionate about what they're selling which is probably the first step and the key to everything we're going to talk about. I really am so very excited to be here. What you will learn from me in the next couple hours is I am probably passionate to a fault about what I do and my clients. And the other thing that I'm terribly passionate about, um, I'm on the board of an organization called Girl Rising. I have been a uh, female in finance, which has not always been a really receptive place. And actually, similarly to one of the women I have asked to join me here today, um, I have spent the 20 years that I have been in finance and in the workforce really trying to figure out what makes me me, what makes women women, what makes good salespeople good salespeople, and how do you bring up everybody else with you, which is, again, not necessarily a, a Wall Street trait. Let me just tell you a little about me. So I run a business of about two billion billion, uh, six Six people on my team. I've always been in finance. I have two parents. They are both psychiatrists and MBAs. I grew up talking about how money, decisions, legacies feel, affect your family, etc. And as much as I tried to resist it, I'm a financial psychiatrist. <laughs> so what that means which may be a little different than what all of you are doing is i'm not selling a product i'm not selling a technology i'm not selling one thing i'm selling how to be helpful and relevant to each of the people i come in contact with and i have a whole arsenal of tools right that's why i'm at ubs that's why we're entrepreneurs so i manage money for about 60 families um some of those families are three generations Uh, Some of those families are one person a lot of those families are financial professionals a lot of those people are women Um, That's sort of what I really love to do collecting badass women And I do anything and everything from I work with a billionaire who I have Staffed his board for a project. He's doing with Richard Branson Um, Not something you would expect a financial advisor to do really talk about how he and Richard can uh, Get critical mass in their social justice bail fund project I never thought I would really be doing that. Um, and then there are some people who I build municipal portfolios for with two-year durations and average coupons of 2.2. So it, you know, it, it really does span, I think, a lot. All right. So as I
2: said, these are two amazing, amazing women. So Catherine, please introduce yourself. I am delighted to be here. Um, I am one of the people who doesn't think that sales is a dirty word. Um, I love sales. I didn't start in sales. I I transitioned from being in a very quantitative role um, in in a sales and trading organization um, to moving into sales at, at a point in my career. Um, And I realized um, at that point that, that sales is really about helping people. That's all it is. It's you have something, they need that thing. How do you get what you know that they need in their hands? That's what it's all about. So you can call it whatever you want, but that's really what sales is. I'm also a big believer that everything is sales. It doesn't matter what you do for a living, it's sales. To get from here to there, no matter what you do, it's sales. Um, so getting comfortable, getting good at it um, is what it's all about. So I did spend about 25 years on Wall Street, um, sales and trading. Um, what I do now has very little to do with what I did then. Um, I'm the CEO of a company called PEFIN, uh, which stands for Personal Financial Intelligence. It's an artificial intelligence financial advisory platform. Uh, we launched in December. We've got 25 people on the team. We have both a direct-to-consumer and a B2B platform. People do ask me all the time, you're a, in a financial advisory company and it's digital. What do you think about human advice?" and I always give Ali's example of human advisors are not going anywhere because they add a huge amount of value. Um, it's you, all about you. where the line is on complexity of, of the situation. Um, and so and I've, I've even used your words that you are a uh, financial psychiatrist, yeah. um, and that's something that artificial intelligence is not there yet on. So absolutely. I hope it doesn't get there. <laughs> <laughs> Molly.
3: Hi, I'm Molly. I'm the CEO of a company called Laleen. It is a direct-to-consumer women's wear line. My background is a bit different than my partners who handle more of the creative of our business. I've got my start also on Wall Street. I worked at Credit Suisse in investment banking uh, in financial sponsors, so doing kind of more private equity transactions, but always with a focus in consumer retail. That was always what was most interesting to me, which then led me to a company called Rag & Bone. Some of you may know it. Um, And I ran business development there for four years and did a variety of, kind of had a variety of jobs there, wore many hats, and then left that company three years ago to start my current company with my two partners um and sales for me is an interesting thing because i think i've had three kind of very different jobs but sales has always been the key piece behind it all you know obviously as a banker you're constantly (laughs) selling yourself trying to pitch in my case private equity firms quite often um and then to rag and bone i mean very literally the biggest project i worked on there uh was selling a minority position in the company so again like it was all about sales and finding the right partner for that. And then, of course, with my current company, I mean, sales every day, all day, in so many different ways. First, you you know, the way that we were just speaking about literally selling to customers, then there's selling to investors, then there's selling to all the people that we hope to be part of the community and the brand, so that's like a lot of network relationship type things. So I think that in every aspect of my business sales is kind of, especially in my role, because I'm the one who's not handling the creative, um, sales is is king. So, who owns selling? Who yeah. owns
1: actually getting your product out there? Yeah. And how? And do you have tools to track it? Do you, you know, how does that work? Yeah,
3: I that I own selling. So, in the, and again, in a few different ways, I own selling in that I am in charge of all of our digital advertising, custom, you know, traditional customer acquisition, like what you were talking about before, Facebook advertising, everything else. That's something that actually to start was really not a core focus for us. We wanted to grow organically to begin with. So for the first 18 months or so, we didn't do that at all. Now we do, um, and we're going to do a lot more of it going forward. And so I I do own that. I work with an agency that actually puts the ads out there for us. But I'm the liaison along with my partner, Meredith.
1: And how did you make the decision to engage an agency? Yeah,
3: so we were very lucky in terms of getting our name out to begin with based on You know the backgrounds of all three of us have worked in the industry for a long time me being the least my partners worked at vogue for a collective 26 years so when they launched a company a lot of people talked about it it was a kind of a big news story so we wanted to ride that wave for as long as we could Um, and so that like i said we spent the first 18 months really without investing in customer acquisition and we were just actually talking about this because in my world you hear these insane revenue stories of these young direct-to-consumer startups that are really it's really fascinating and exciting, but then when you dig a little bit deeper, you oftentimes learn that these companies are spending so much more money than they're actually bringing in in revenue. And for me, with my training coming from a more traditional fashion brand, and then before that, uh, you know, looking, constantly working with private equity firms, looking at the health of businesses, it was really important to me that we not start that way. Um, I wanted a healthy business. I wanted you know, crazy top line numbers, but I also wanted a strong margin and I wanted to be profitable. Uh, which some of these brands that are considered my competitors that are worth you know a couple hundred million dollars are still not profitable. So I wanted to kind of find an in-between path. So it is, it's it's a non-traditional route to fashion because it's direct, but I didn't want to like buy our sales basically. But at some point you need to go beyond the realm of everyone who's reading about us in Vogue or whatever else it may be. So we started dipping our toes in it in the last six months, and it's been. Really great. We've had amazing returns. Um, we have like probably like a five times return, I would say, on what we spend. So I like could do that triangle for you, but it's, the numbers are a lot bigger. It's like you have to reach like three hundred thousand people to do yeah, to do twenty thousand dollars in sales or something in a day, say. Um, but that's but the results have been great, um, and so we're going to invest in that a lot more heavily as we as we fundraise, which we're doing now. You should all. Look. It's 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 amazing, and it's yeah. amazing both from the standpoint of. A,
1: the product, B, the um, community that it has created, the, the sort of intersection yeah. with women's empowerment and the Time's Up movement and the, the real culture behind it, which I think I didn't mention, but I think is a huge part of how you do this within your organization is sort of set a culture that makes sales feel like it's fun and part of it, and also that you know makes it authentic. And they have really made their clients and anybody who interacts with the brand feel good about what they've bought and better
3: about themselves in the community. Um, but yeah, so in terms of like that would be, I guess, the most obvious thing related to sales is just true advertising. So in terms of tools for that, you know, I, I work with this agency. We I have a phone call with them once a week. I'm constantly looking at. All, I can also log into all the. I can you know, see everything that's happening, see how many people are clicking in, what the returns are, and all of that. But that's more handled like on Facebook, basically, is where all the tools are for that. But I, as a trained investment banker, I'm very Excel-oriented, also. It's where I do everything, no matter what it is. Everything that I do exists on Excel. Um, so I keep a lot of lists similar to what you were saying. So I have one for investors. Um, obviously, all the information of our existing inv- initial investors, but as we're now fundraising, that is like a constantly updated spreadsheet that looks similar to what you've said and it has all the notes of like last interaction, like do they have the deck, do they have the model, like how many times have we met, when's our next meeting, et cetera. Like always keeping that and updating it. Yeah. Um, And then also you spoke a bit about our community, but for me, that's another sales tool. It's a really authentic sales tool and it's something that is like paramount to I think our business's success. But we have a very ongoing list of women across the board. They can be actresses, they can be singers, they can be NYPD officers, they can be yoga teachers. I mean, I, it runs a gamut like everything. You, we have a 91-year-old, we have a 13-year-old. We have a lot of women that we count in our community that we photograph and we highlight. It's a huge sales tool for us. And that, again, is also kept in a very, very long Excel <laughs> ongoing list. Have we reached out to them before about this? Have they come to an event? Will they, will they come to an event? Like, and it, we don't pay any of these women, they do it all. Um, to be part of this community that we've created. But those are, so everything I have lives on Excel.
1: And I guess that's a, that's a great point too, is that sales doesn't have to be,
3: although in my business
1: it clearly is, given the numbers we discussed, a one-on-one thing. And it doesn't have to be one strategy. That's right. It can be a lot, sure. right? Mm-hmm. And so it doesn't have to be you sitting and thinking like, how am I gonna sell one thing or another, but how can I, how can I inspire people to wanna be a part of what I'm doing? Totally. So what about you? You have a a larger
2: organization. You just won an amazing award. Thank you. Uh, (laughs) We um, were at South by Southwest, uh, which is a a huge festival in Austin. Um, Some of you may know it from music and film. Um, It also has a huge technology um, part to it. Um, It's been there for 21 years, and we won the People's Choice Award. Um, Very exciting. Very cool.
1: So talk about how you think about sales. Is it regional? Is it by a type of client since you have different
2: types of clients? Yes. So we basically have four different kind of what I think of in terms of lines of businesses. Um, We have the direct consumer platform. Mm -hmm. We have a white labeling offering where essentially an institution would take our offering and then give it to their clients. And we're building out right now in the Netherlands uh, with a very large pension provider there Um, and so that's kind of interesting in that it's both a a, a large client but also a new country for us. Um, So customizing the product for a new country is very cool for us. Um, We also have employers who want to be able to give um, our services to their employees for financial wellness purposes. So there's a whole financial wellness stream. Um, And then there's advisors uh, who are looking for more digital tools um, to be able to either widen their funnel um, or, or do something digitally with their clients. So for me, those are four very different lines of business, and we manage those all differently. Um, And, and then there's the the demographic component in terms of geography as well. There's a whole, you know, US is different because the US platform is all entirely built. Um, The rest of the world isn't, so it's a different conversation in terms of of customer development. But I think, you know, one of the things that you were talking about is there are the kind of individual relationships, and so for me on the institutional side, which is really my background for a long time, that's a very comfortable conversation. I know, okay, what are all the pension funds in the world, and how would I interact with them, because that's what I have done for such a long time. Um, It becomes very much different when you're either looking at, let's say, financial wellness, that could be any company, and so then finding out which companies you align with in terms of philosophically they care about giving things like financial wellness tools to their customer is really much more the angle. Direct to consumer again, totally different. Then it's a question of what are the best ways of reaching them, you know, in terms of of of, you know, as we were talking here, just you know what what are the, the digital channels and otherwise that you can get people interested. So really almost four different businesses.
1: If you ask my team to say one thing that is interesting, unique, bizarre, hilarious about me, What they will tell you is when I have a big meeting or when I'm going to meet somebody that where I feel a little overwhelmed, Um, my family is not religious, but we call music religion. I grew up in a Baby Bjorn in New Orleans going to Jazz Fest. So when I have a big meeting or a big call, I sort of put myself somewhere and I put my headphones on and I like sing and rock like a banshee. (laughs) Do you have anything that you do that gets you sort of in your zone, in your sales zone?
2: I do. I am religious, um, and and I do pray a lot. Um, and that's what I do before something important. And I just try. I hand it over, and I just pray about it. And that's just me. And I'm just that's being awesome. honest. That's what I, love I do. But I learned that. Um, and, okay. and sometimes I have my my thirteen year old son is a great person to do that with. Sometimes. Um, and so it also helps me align to what's really important here. And what am I trying to get out of this? And I really do think that for me, philosophically, how can I help is, is something I try to bring to all of my client interactions. So. You, it's very easy to get caught up in I need this sale or I need this investor. But if I can really get my head around, how can I help them? The how can I help? Exactly. And solving. so if, if I can reconfigure what I'm worried about into how can I help, it changes the whole conversation. Yeah. It makes me a lot more uh, relaxed about yeah. it as well because then yeah. I don't feel like so stressed about, oh my gosh, if this investor doesn't like us or whatever, then, you know, it's not about that. It's, if, if, if I'm right for them and they're right for me, I'm helping and then it all sorts itself out. what I've discovered in this process of of dealing with investors, which is like 90% of my life right now um, and and has been going on for a few months and and knock on wood is going really, really well. Um, What I found at the beginning was I didn't understand enough, just like in any sales relationship, about what do they need? I mean, they are trying to do something, right? They're, They're looking for investments because they have objectives. What are those objectives? And what I found is that just like in any kind of dating relationship, we were talking about this earlier, it's the same with investors. There's a match for everyone, but everyone isn't a match. And so now what I understand is how can I figure out what are they trying to get to? And and if they say we're looking for companies with three years of track record, all of a sudden I can say, well, fantastic. We'll talk in three years. That's great. Glad to know you. I will keep in touch, and I do, um, but, but this is not the time right. for us. Um, if somebody comes and says, um, you know, I'm, I'm looking for a company um, that, is, that has launched, but maybe doesn't have a track record yet, but I like, as an investor, I like to get involved and help grow, now we have something to talk about. So what I've now understood better is how can I ask the right questions to the investor, not just to help me, but to help them get to what they're going to and then be able to quickly say, we might have something to talk about here, or you know what, you seem awesome, but we don't have anything to talk about right now, and that's okay. Yeah. Okay, so you're on a different side of this where
1: you're maybe not facing off against your client. Yeah. Investors, so though. Investors yeah. and, and like a Nordstrom's. We talked about sure. Nordstrom's. Yeah. So, um, you know,
3: A, build on this, but also I want to know if you do any crazy things. Well, I don't. <laughs> and, I, and actually, one time we were going, we were, we were going into pitch a large group of female investors and it was really intimidating because we'd only ever kind of had one-on-one conversations before. We'd never done something like this where we had to put a presentation up on the screen and it was a big room of women. So before we were like quite nervous and my partner Meredith was like Zach, her husband, said before he has a big meeting, he like looks in front of a mirror and like puts his arm in the air and like screams like this. So we all did it. (laughs) And it was so ridiculous. We like went to the bathroom in this big like big building in Midtown. And then it was like we it was the maybe the worst meeting we've ever had. <laughs> it was, like, such a disaster. We couldn't, it, they gave you, like, strictly 10 minutes to get through the presentation. On, like, minute eight, we hadn't even gotten past page three, like, not into the financials, which was obviously all they cared about. So then I get to financials, and I'm like, hi, thanks so much. Okay, so in this year, we did this bunch of money, and we did this, our gross margin is this, and our payment dollars is this, Well, blah, 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 thank you. And they were like... What? I mean, anything she just said? It was a disaster. So it didn't work for me. I would say. Um, I actually just like remain kind of. I'm, i I'm pretty calm in those situations. I am an extrovert, so for me it is like, it feels natural. And also, it's so different now than it was when I was working for Ragamone or in banking or anything. Because I really, it's my life. Like yeah. I, you guys all understand that. Like I live and breathe this. This is my everything. So I'm not nervous about talking about. It. I'm not like. I remember being so terrified in every banking meeting when I went to that they would ask a question and I wouldn't know the answer because like, I didn't go to sleep thinking about it. This is like, I don't think anyone's gonna ask me anything I don't know. So I don't feel yeah. that anxiety necessarily in the same yeah, way. No,
1: I would like write the passion, the subject matter expert. Yeah. No totally. one knows what yeah. I can deliver and exactly. what I care about. No one knows That's what right. you guys have invested. It's interesting, I never thought about that way. Can each of you walk through maybe a current, like real life example?
2: One that maybe came out the way you wanted and one that did not? I mean, you know, the investor thing is really top of mind yeah. for me right now, just because that's literally what I'm doing. Um, and the first um, investor meeting that I went to, um, one of my partners uh, and I went out to Palo Alto and we sat down with one of the really well-known VCs out there. Um, and it was probably the worst meeting I've ever had in my entire life. No kidding. And I've been to a lot of meetings. But the good news is that because I've been in sales like, for decades, yeah. I was like, Meh. you know, and the guy that I was with, though, he's never been in sales. I mean, I thought he was going to cry. I really Aww. did. He was so upset. And he was like, they hate us.
1: This is the take your ego out of yeah. it part. You know, yeah. I mean, yeah. is
2: everybody going to love us? Not everyone's going to love us, right? And the thing is, is that what I found, and this was really, I kind of went to the beginning of my thinking about, it's all about alignment. They, Hated the fact that we had a B two B business. Like we are revenue positive right now only because of the B two B business. <laughs> well, I don't know what you're hating about. It. I'm loving it, right? right? So that works for me. But he was like, hate that. Would get rid of that. Like, uh, okay, the fact that we're we're Wall Street people. He was like, does anybody at your firm not come from Wall oh Street? God. Like, yes, but like, is that such a bad thing? Like, yeah, On yeah. The West Coast, hate absolutely. You, right, yeah. exactly. So totally hated us for that. I mean, and so it was like, a, like everything we talked about. They were like. Hate you, hate you, hate you, and um, and but and very um, as one is in those meetings. Often they were very like upfront about it. Like I hate you. That's like, <laughs> like, okay. Okay. Um, and it was like okay. So you know you walk in and you're like, well that kind of sucks. It was really our first investor meeting. We're like, is is this what it's going to be like? <laughs> um, and so that was really it was a lot of it for me was. Partly just getting my partner up off the ground, um, and, and kind of just being like, it's, it's okay. Um, and, and and we didn't he, he kind of he walked away from it feeling like we must have done everything wrong, because if we didn't do everything wrong, they wouldn't hate us. And mm-hmm. it's like it's not. I'm not saying we couldn't learn things from the feedback. Definitely yeah. we could, but but we also it's an opportunity to assess. Are we confident in certain things? And we came away saying, yeah, we actually are. We are confident that the B2B business is a good one for us and stuff like that. So it's just an opportunity to assess. The flip side of that was there was a, a strategic investor, who I didn't think of as an investor at all. I just thought of it as strategic pinging me like we need to talk we need to talk and I'm like yeah okay sure we do you know and I'm yeah. like really like I'm so busy right now I don't have time to talk to you but finally I'm like sure whatever I'll take the call and I took the call and he was like you know we have a we have a venture fund part of our company we really want to invest in you guys like what <laughs> so and 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 it looks like they're going to be one of our big investors so it's just like you just never know it's yeah. just like you just to put it all out there and then yeah. eventually it sorts itself out
3: yeah the investor thing is is a real ego killer i
2: would say <laughs> some of them are great but some of them them are
3: hard, and I alluded to this a little bit before. But some of our peers, who are considered our peers, started with a lot more money, spent a lot of money, and have crazy, crazy revenue stories. So we'll be compared to like Allbirds or something that you know did a million dollars in their first week of business or whatever it was, um, which is amazing and it's unique, um, but it doesn't mean that we're bad because we didn't do that. We have amazing numbers, we have amazing revenue growth story, everything like that. But sometimes you meet with a VC in particular, and they want to see that, and then they want to see your like insane plans for growth in the future. Never ask me about margin, never ask me about profitability, just ask me about top line. And so I'll sit there and be like, so, so, do you want to hear about our margin? Because I spend so much effort trying to ensure a healthy margin in our business. And they're like, no, we just want to hear about top line. So for me, it became quickly visible that that was probably not going to be the right fit for us and that our investors should be more strategic, um, people who... Because at the end of the day, we are a fashion business, but we're just a modern way of making fashion. Um,
1: you haven't even talked about that, though. Talk about oh, when yeah. I said you
3: were a disruptive business oh, yeah. in the
1: fashion industry. Will you actually talk about that Yeah, sure. and how you got to there and how this team formed around that idea? Yeah,
3: OK. So like I said, my partners worked at Vogue for a really long time, and I worked at Rag and & Bone. And I think our our simultaneous experiences taught us different things that led to what is Lilian. But basically, they were... I think exhausted after so many years at Vogue, seeing these like trends come in and out and changing all the time and having to constantly reinvent yourself. They always tell a story of like one season you'd meet with a designer and they'd be like, yes, this season is inspired by like great expectations, meet Gone Girl. And you're like, sorry, what? Like, <laughs> and obviously by the time it's like hanging on a rack in Nordstrom, there's like zero. You it's been totally lost. So essentially that is all created for the effect of like a runway show that's costing the brand a million dollars. And 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 felt a little bit outdated not to mention like calendar felt outdated you were buying like a fur coat in July Um, and and most importantly this markup that the customer is paying seemed really unnecessary at this point because with direct access we have to customers like why are we paying why is Barneys buying something from me that cost me fifty dollars to make for a hundred and then selling it to you for two hundred and thirty dollars It's like insane I mean obviously there's a lot that comes with department stores you have crazy visibility and brand awareness that you don't get when you're like us and you have to make that yourself. But just in theory, it makes more sense that we can evolve the way that we sell clothing, essentially. So they were feeling frustrated, mostly like, on product side, and I was feeling really frustrated on, you know, working on the business side of Rag and Bone, seeing how incredible all their e-commerce and all their retail stores were and how destructive almost the wholesale business was. I don't want to like totally hate on wholesale because I think there's some people that are doing it really well and adapting, but, which I can get into, but, um, so we kind of came together with this concept they had, which was like create, you know, luxury. Essentials that aren't trend-driven, that aren't season-driven. They're not. They're not going to go on sale. They're always going to be available because these are core pieces that you want to have in your wardrobe. Like the idea that women go into their closet and have, you know, closets full of clothing, but like keep going back to the same six pieces or whatever it is, which we all do, right? So we, how do we become those pieces? At least one of those pieces, but if not six, um, I think it's focus on like quality, focus on fit, focus on you know really being your. Essentials, because look around the room. Like, not that fashion shouldn't be used for expression, because surely it should. I mean, I'm wearing like white patent leather pumps. So, um, but like, there's it's you know essentials. I would say are, are dominating the room right now, and I think that that is more and more how people are dressing, and um, and that also with all this transparency and visibility, it's like people want to know what they're buying, they want to know why they're paying what they're paying for it. So. We felt ourselves in a place where there were a lot of businesses that were popping up in the direct-to-consumer space, but not really in like pure fashion. You had like one product offerings, like I mentioned, Allbirds or Warby or Harry's or anything like that, um, and then you have like more fast fashion, like Reformation, which is amazing. We love Reformation, or or um, but their focus is never is not about quality; it's about f- being fast and affordable in their in their market. Um, so we wanted to like the first truly fashion-driven brand, but offer pieces that we thought were forever and, and essentials. Um, oh, and then in terms of wholesale, so, so that being said, we did launch with net Porte as our exclusive wholesaler, um, so they launched alongside us with our product, and the idea there was that we weren't going to change pricing, so it was going to be kind of like a margin killer for us, but the idea was obviously awareness and getting the brand out there, which I think it did a really good job of. It's like validating in a way because you have great adjacencies and, and everything else, um, and We're in talks with another large wholesaler that we really love that is really down to work with, like, our new way of doing things. Like, we do weekly deliveries. We don't do seasons. So that means for a wholesaler, which is, like, unusual for them because they obviously buy seasonally, that they would come in and they would buy monthly from us, and they're up for doing it, or they're up for doing exclusive product that we can price in a way that makes sense for us, or they're up for doing, like... um, you know, staying mostly in the sweater and t-shirt category because that's where we have higher margins, so it's a little bit easier for us to do that kind of thing. So we're working with one larger one um, as, as a brand growth tool, but also it's a brand we, we really like and want to align ourselves with. And then a lot of collaborations. We do a lot of collaborations. I have a lot of people that I know that are looking
1: for investments. And I have a lot of clients <laughs> that are looking for investors. So one of the things I do, and when I said I build my network of badass women and network them, I really do do that. And so, part of you know my relationship with Molly began because I was totally taken by her business. I decided I wanted to personally invest, and I had a number of clients that were looking specifically
3: for something in the apparel industry. Um, yeah, listen, this is like a this is a really capital intensive business, and it's hard from a cash from a you know from a cash flow perspective, obviously, because especially when you're not selling like big, ma- I mean, you're not getting massive checks from wholesalers every day to account for all the purchasing you've just made. You're doing well, but you're waiting mon- for money to come in every day. So if I go out to my factory and I buy like, you know, 10,000 sweaters or whatever it is, and then I hope to sell those 10,000 sweaters over the next month, there's that period where you've just outlaid all this cash and then you're not getting the cash in. So, so but there are ways around ri- like equity raise for that, which is that you can take, you can do some debt financing or what we did, which is a, we have a small inventory loan. So they loan against our inventory, but it's a little bit of a chicken and egg situation because it's like they'll only loan off the 50% of the balance of your inventory. So how do you grow your inventory in order to grow your loan without (laughs) getting other money? Um, But there's a lot of other things apart from, you know, we, we feel that we have a lot of missed opportunity at this point because of our lack of cash, I guess. We have, we're fine, but we're not, we don't have enough cash in the bank where we can really like we have huge wait lists for so many products, but it's too much of a burden to buy them all up front. Or we can't fully like take advantage of all the advertising we just spoke about because it's, it's too expensive. And the returns are there. Like I'm like, okay, if I spend twenty thousand dollars, I can get like a hundred and thirty thousand dollars in sales. But it's like I need that twenty thousand dollars to do that. So there's a lot of opportunities, physical like pop-ups, all this stuff that we're offered all the time that we really can't take advantage of because we don't actually that's kind of the need. And also we need to hire some more people because we haven't hired anyone else since we launched. Um, that's kind of been our team since the beginning. We use this company called Merchant. Um, so it's a it's it's a factor. It's a revolver and you can continue to draw and then you pay it down against receivables or um, your daily sales. It's not cheap though.
1: Okay. <laughs> I have a question about building a
2: community. From my perspective, um, you know, in in person is what I've done a lot more of. We are doing online as well, but, um, but it definitely The the in-person is much more down my my fairway. Um, A lot like Ali said, um, there's no substitute for really getting to know people and then talking about and feeling comfortable talking about what you're doing with those people because if you meet with them but you feel awkward about saying what you're doing, then it's not going to ever spread. What I find is at this point now for me, I probably get at least two calls or LinkedIn messages or something like that a day from people saying oh i heard blah 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 will you meet with me um and so and i try really hard to um if 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 somebody that i trust like Valley, calls me and says you should meet with this person i will meet with that person Um, so it 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 is difficult schedule wise because we're all so busy and we're all really stretched but i found more good has come from actually being really aggressive about taking people up on that and and making those conversations. And I can tell you, I don't understand why it's the case, but more often than not, when somebody tells me, you should meet with that person, and I think in my head, why? That's the one that I really need to meet with. And then when I meet with them, I'm like, oh, now I get it. Now I understand why I should meet with that person. But it's not always readily apparent. Um, But I think it's, it's something that we all really benefit from in this room is the enthusiasm of what we're doing. So whether it's in person or whether it's digitally, it's natural to, to tell people, this is what I'm doing, this is why it's exciting, this is why I can help. Um, and, and then eventually the contagion happens. It's just a question of getting through the earlier days, um, particularly online, where you feel like, is anybody out there, does anybody hear me? Um, but eventually it, it starts to come back.
1: Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll... this concept of the network effect and sort of living and breathing what you do, for me has been both natural, credentialing and effective. I put on these events, and in order to come, you have to give your name, your bio, and you have to give an ask. And the ask can be, like when I think about the one that that we did, the ask was everywhere from, um, I've finally gotten to the point in my career where I can do something philanthropic, I'm looking Mm -hmm. to join boards. one person had office space they
2: wanted. To mm-hmm. That's right. And, and also we ended up doing, not, we didn't do business with them on the office space, but we did do business with them on, on the product. Laura? Yeah. Right?
1: <laughs> Mine was pretty specific. Like, I would like to meet interesting women who have money and power to create a legacy. And I put all these people around the table. And and again, but you have to, it has to be, um, and I actually learned this from a, an entrepreneur, probably at the stage that you were. you are, um, and her law firm did this. And it was like this, I had this aha moment about it, right? When you talk about like her community. And they basically said, look, men do this all the time. They do this with yeah. like, golfing, they do this, whatever. They're not saying like, no, I just want to meet nice people. Yeah. I really want to, you know, <laughs> yeah. spend. They're saying, I need $10,000, yeah. or I need office space, or I need to meet people like you, or I need board members. So I said, okay, you know, I see something here. So I do these every once in, you know, once in a while. and What it creates then is that, you know, there might be 10 people going after Catherine and her company and her money, but I'm not the person going after her company and her money. I'm the person that like did all this other stuff and that cares about who she is. And you know, the nice thing is I actually do, so I'm hoping it comes across that way. But for me, it's really all about that. But look, I mean, I understand that when we sit down, she has really limited time and what she needs, and she gets that for me. So it's not that there's nothing mercenary about it, mm-hmm. right? But it doesn't have to be so like forced and inauthentic. Right. And so that's what I do. But it, for me, it really has to be face-to-face. And for me, which again may have no relevance to you, it's also, I work with people who have in, usually so much money and so much reach that they need for nothing. And so if there's one way I can be relevant to them, and if that is introducing them to another client I have, if that is helping them when they are looking at colleges for their kids, talk about some things or some consultants that work for other clients, like I just, I really, everything about what I do is thinking outside the box and just networking and figuring a way to add some little modicum of value where again, I'm at the top of their mental mailbox.
3: I think about community for us in two ways, and this is probably very specific only to anyone who's really working in like a e-commerce type business. So one is my community of customers and one is our community of people who kind of rally around the brand and make it is to meet what it is and what kind of what Ali was talking about. And by the way, these two are totally related because, you know, this bucket of our community excites this bucket of our community. They want to blend into one community, which is what we want. so we they're kind of handled in different ways i mean in terms of speaking to our community of customers we ali mentioned this earlier but i think it's the most important thing i mean it may be obvious but like authenticity is it that's it it's king like we we everything that is an output from our company is purely authentic sometimes it's ridiculous sometimes it's so raw and that's what people like the most like i can put millions of pictures of celebrities on our instagram and they'll do well but what does better is like a picture of me and my two founders acting like idiots, being, you know, a behind the scenes shot of how tired and exhausted we are because we like roll racks down the streets day after day. That kind <laughs> of stuff. Truly, like that stuff it moves the needle more to, in the end. So authenticity is key. Um, but we, and, and everything that we stand for. So Ali mentioned like Time's Up, and we never launched the business intending to be a, have a political voice really at all. We just ended up with this platform, and we ended up launching around a time when you know say what she will like to each their own opinion but it was a <laughs> an interesting time uh, and a lot of issues particularly related to females came up in a big way and we felt like staying silent would have been really inauthentic to who we were we're three females female founded company we care a lot about women's issues so we got behind a lot of women's issues some of our customers didn't like that but we didn't care and a lot most of our customers did so we have worked on projects with planned parenthood and with the women's march and with times up um, and with the ACLU um, and with an organization called free the nipple. and <laughs> and it's uh, it's like one of the greatest things we've done. and I think um, again, it's really about being authentic. We got asked to involve ourselves in a charity that was associated with a really big celebrity, but it was a charity that like we none of us, we love what they're doing, but it was nothing that we had really like personally been involved with, and we passed on it because even though it could have been a great exposure for us, it felt inauthentic to who we were. so, I think, um, you know, just, just being authentic and getting your message out there to your community in that way is just the most important thing you can do. And then in terms of my community of, I guess, like influencers, um, but by the way, I use that term really loosely because we photograph a lot of important, very well-known influencers. We also are photographing next week my like childhood best friend who's a doctor at Mount Sinai. So your influencers can be anyone. I think, again, this leads to authenticity. Um, it's just about finding a way to speak to your customers. The reason that I love our portrait series, what we do, we've shot 150 women to date. Um, some of them you would know, some of them you've never heard of. Um, but I think whether the person has like 10 million followers or 100 followers, um, it's all really powerful and really moves the needle. Uh, and it's we give this, we teach or we show our customers like this wide range of women who do a million things, look a million different ways, are from a million different places, not a million, but you know. Um, and, and they can see themselves in someone in our portrait series, versus seeing like a white model, a white skinny model on a white background. I mean, I, I get that that's the way it's been traditionally done, but that's like so unrelatable, I think. And I think customers, and again, this is like pretty specific to consumer products, but customers are are more conscious shoppers now, and they want to get behind a brand, they want to believe in it, they want to buy into a whole story. So, I think it's really important. So that's why I love both of our communities. And in terms of engaging with the community of influencers. Listen, we've been at this for a long time in our careers, especially my partner. So we've built really amazing relationships, and we've been very lucky that they've supported us in that way. But um, those relationships are always evolving, and and if you put out and we put out amazing, beautiful content, and so then people come to us and want to join the community. So we'll we have agents who we worked with in the past. We rep, we shot their models, and they'll come to us and say like hey, um, I have three more models I want to pitch you for this portrait series. I'm like, an agent is pitching us a free project. They're not getting paid off this. so like, it's good for their client. The pictures are beautiful. We're like, bring them, bring them in. Um, and so I think it's like an ongoing. But those are the two communities of that we really try to foster both, all of those relationships, but again, like authentic, authentically. Oh, God,
1: I think we're done. That was fun. <laughs>
2: Thank you.
0: Thank you for listening to the Project Entrepreneur, the Tools podcast series. We are adding more episodes all the time, so please subscribe to get the latest on how to make your business successful. You can find more resources and learn about upcoming events at projectentrepreneur.org. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at PJT Entrepreneur and like us on Facebook. Project Entrepreneur is a program of Rent the Runway Foundation and UBS. Special thanks to our community advisors, Black Founders, Latino Startup Alliance, Venture for America, and Historically Black Colleges and Universities Innovation, Commercialization and Entrepreneurship Program.